want to talk to you today about triumphing over strife. Nobody here ever has an issue with that. You know, the Bible says in Romans 12, 18, as much as lies with you, live at peace with all men. But I want you to practice saying something with me as we get started today. People going to do what people going to do. You don't have the decisions that they make. That's not your responsibility, but your response is. So shout it out. People going to do what people are going to do. Your job is to constantly respond in a, in a holy and righteous and biblical way. 2 Corinthians 2.14 tells us, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. We have by the Spirit of God declared this the year of triumph. And just because you see forces working against who you are in Christ and what He's designed this year and this season to be, there can't be any triumph if there's nothing to overcome. If there's no struggle, no battle, no war, there's no joy in triumphing over something that was not a battle. Well, look at somebody and say, well, I've got that covered. Anybody have a battle out there? A circumstance, a challenge. It could be in any regard, any category. Strife means vigorous or bitter conflict or discord or antagonism. It means to be at war with someone outwardly or in one's heart. Most people that deal with strife are not dealing with an outward confrontation or some kind of conflict or violence. They're dealing with a war that's inside the heart. But how many know that something that gets into the heart of a human being is very powerful? It can direct and guide and control you in ways you never thought it would. Just because someone's not acting outwardly on that strife, that doesn't mean that something powerful is not working against them on the inside. Proverbs 20, verse 3 says, It's to one's honor to avoid strife. Say it, it's honorable to avoid strife. Well, if you yield to strife, then by the same token, that would be dishonorable. It's dishonorable to get into strife with people. Scripture says this in Proverbs 22:10: Drive out the mocker and out goes strife. Quarrels and insults are ended. This teaches us that we should not be putting up with strife in any measure or amount. Now, we can't go around policing everybody, but how many know we can police our own hearts? And we can police our own mouths and our own minds, our thought life. Certainly we can do that, but the job is, is on us to make sure that we're walking in the love of God. How many know that if we're not staying in love, our faith won't work? If you're the devil and you want to shut down the, the faith and the believing and the power of a believer, get them to get out of love. And it's a nonstop battle. It's a nonstop struggle from his perspective. Go turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and put your eyes on this scripture or scroll up to it on your, on your handheld, whatever you have today. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. I'm going to read this to you from the King James Version. And here's what it says, and the servant of the Lord. Now raise your hand if you're a servant of the Lord. Let me see you wave it up high. I'm a servant of the Lord. No shame there, no doubt there. You're, you're born again on your way to heaven. You're a servant of the Lord. Well, here's the mandate, must not strive or be in strife, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient and meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves, watch this, out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. 
Now the moral of this story and the key to this scripture is to understand that when you enter into strife, you become captive of the enemy to do his will. Now nobody's going to get up tomorrow and say, you know what, what I want to do today, what I really, really want to do is I want to do the devil's will. Has anybody ever woke up and said, that's what I want to do? No, but if you enter into strife, that's exactly what's going to happen. You're going to do the will of the one that you have rejected, amen, in serving God. You rejected the enemy. But if you get into strife, now you are captive. I've been um, born again a while, and I've been in Christian leadership, you know, several decades now. And I will tell you that the number one way a devil takes out a believer is not through adultery. It's not through drugs. It's not through knocking off a bank. Are you here today? It's not through arson. It's not through going downtown beating people up. You know what it is? The number one way the devil takes out a believer is strife. Hands down, it's not even close. I have seen people with the call of God, the anointing of God, the purpose of God in their heart, and they have even been warned the devil's trying to make a play for your heart and get into strife, and nothing past that point is ever fruitful again. Now, can God redeem it if they'll repent and come to their senses? But a funny thing happens when a believer gets into strife and then makes a bunch of stupid decisions. They will then try to justify the decisions they've made in strife. In other words, on the heels of strife comes a very powerful thing called pride. Now I've got to defend what I have done instead of just saying, God, I blew it, and I want to get things right with you. Say this with me. The number one tactic of the devil to take me out is strife. Come on, say it again. The number one device designed to take me out is strife. And you know what? It's always there as an opportunity. Amen? When you enter into strife, you've been snared by the devil, and now you're held captive to do his will. You can't get up and do what God wants you to do because you're in strife. You've got to deal with that strife first and then move on into what God would have you do. James 3.16 says, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. What kind of work? Every evil work. I mean, how sad would it be for somebody who's born again, spirit-filled, to then begin to function as a tool of the devil for every evil work? You and I have been in the Church of Jesus Christ long enough, and I mean capital C, to see people who know better, but then become the tool of the enemy because of strife. What happened? Well, they didn't like what somebody said or did, or they didn't like the fact that somebody didn't say something they wanted to, or they didn't do what somebody wanted them. Can, you, can I help you out here? You are not anyone's Lord. You'll help yourself out with strife if you'll stop running around telling yourself they should do what I want. They should say what I want. They should think what I want. They shouldn't do that. They shouldn't say that. God did not come off the throne and make you Lord. And you'll be a lot happier if you just let Lord, Jesus be Lord, and let God deal with people. And that doesn't mean we don't hold, hold each other accountable and speak into our lives. No, we do. But at the end of the day, you're trying to do a job you're not equipped for. Where you find strife, you find every evil work. And envy is often at the root of it. What we don't realize is this, that strife always brings its destructive friends along to the party. 
Keep strife off the invitation list, and you'll keep envying confusion and destruction off the list as well. Stay out of it. The good news for you and for me is God makes available power for us to stay out of strife. Shout that out. There's power to stay out of strife. There's also power to keep it out. Are you here today? There's power for you to release those who have hurt you. There's power to forgive even when you're very hurt as an individual. Strife is one of those things that it's really easy to get into and very, very difficult to get out of. They say that one hit of methamphetamine or one hit of crack and that person could be hooked for life. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. All they did was smoke at one time. All they did was try it one time. 20, 30 years later, they're still hooked and destroyed. Listen carefully to what I'm saying to you. It's the same way with strife. Strife is what I call spiritual crack. Try it once. And if you got out of it, then God bless your heart. But there are a lot of people that try crack and never recover from it. And there are a lot of Christians that try strife and never come home from it. They're never the same. They're not victorious. They're not bearing fruit. They just exist. They might as well just sit there and wait for the rapture because nothing good's going to happen because God can't, doesn't, and won't bless strife. Say it with me. It's easy to get into. It's very hard to get out of. It's spiritual crack. Come on, say it with me. Strife is spiritual crack. One puff. Now, I know people in this room that smoked it. And I know people in this room, by the grace of God, got out of it. So don't tell me that just because you yield to it, it's over for you. It's not over for you. There is always repentance. There is always forgiveness. There is always a fresh start. I'm just simply saying to you, now that you know these things, be on your guard for that which takes you captive and makes you snared by the devil to do his will. Hallelujah. A smart believer never tries it. You've seen pictures of addicts before and after? Every once in a while, a police department will show you pictures of the person when they're first arrested for drugs or paraphernalia. And then they'll put their second mugshot on there five, ten years later. And it looks like they are already a ghost. 25, 30 years later, you don't even recognize them. Their eyes are swollen, their teeth are rotted out, they're, they're completely emaciated, their hair is gone. They literally look like some kind of a, a horror extra from a movie. You got that picture on the outside? That's exactly what Christians look like on the inside that yield to strife. And we just can't afford that, especially right now. Are you here today? In other words, they look hideous on the outside because of the drugs. People who yield to strife look hideous on the inside. Strife is highly mobile. As a spirit, it is stealthy and restless as a spirit, 
And after it derails one believer, it immediately looks for another one to destroy. Come on, say it with me. I'm not going to be its next victim. Come on, say it again. I am not going to be its next victim. What am I saying to you? I'm saying to you that spirit can manifest in one person's life in the, in the household and then jump on to another member of the household. It can get on one member in a ministry team and then when it's done, it'll go to another one. It can be on one staff member's life and then go to another person's life. It is restless, it is mobile, it is vicious in its intent and it is always there and present. And you've got to make up your mind, I'm not going to bite. It's in every schoolroom. It's in every workplace. It's in every city, every town, every state, just waiting for somebody to yield to it. And if you don't believe it, look at our nation right now. Strife is manifesting everywhere. You see it in the halls of national power. You see it in the streets. Forget all the reasons why what people say they're doing. Behind it all is a laughing spirit of strife. In the halls of power, in our cities, in our state governments, in our school districts, in the media, in the house of God, in marriages, in individual hearts with the cancel culture. I've never seen anything like it. Unless you're perfect in somebody's eyes, then they reserve the right to cancel you. Since March, March to June this year, divorce is up 34% in this country. What's happened since March to June? COVID, but behind that all is what? You see, if you look beyond all this stuff, the politics and the disease, you know, and, and all that goes with it, economic situations and the closures and the mask or not have the mask or whatever the case may be, behind it is a spirit of strife. A wise Christian is not going to jump in the middle of that stuff. Amen. Everybody fighting, everybody fussing, everybody complaining. Everybody in division. Can you see who's really behind all this? It is a very powerful, mobile, and stealthy and restless spirit. That's why Hebrews 12:15 says this: Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up, trouble you, and corrupt many or spread to many. Bitterness never just keeps to itself. It always spreads. The spirit of strife causes selective amnesia. I got strife in my heart towards you. Suddenly, if it was, for example, David and there was strife there, suddenly I've forgotten every good virtue in this man's life. Do you see what I'm saying to you? When you get into strife, you can't see what's positive about the person. You can't see what they did was right. You can't see their contribution. All you can see is what they did or didn't do, what they said or didn't say because of strife. It blinds you to the fullness of that person. Now, raise your hand in this room if you're not perfect. Some of you are wishing you had four hands. Breast, God, I'll tell you one thing. But how many of you would believe, too, there are good virtues in you as well through Jesus Christ? Amen. Things that are redeemable. Amen. Yes. And that's where you have to be careful. 
Because strife gets this little pompous attitude that now I sit in judgment because I'm somehow perfect and they're not, they miss, you know, the judgment. They, they don't, you know, measure up to what I am. So therefore I can decree in my heart, I can cancel them. Well, I got news for you. That just because you act like you're perfect doesn't mean that you are. Amen. But it's dangerous because I can't see any good in that person's life. What a shame. Because that certainly isn't like the Father, is it, church? Hallelujah. Turn to somebody and tell them, stay out of strife. Triumph over strife. 1 Peter 5.8, listen carefully. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know what he's doing? Devour how? By getting them into strife. Devil comes up to you. Go burn down the police station. You're not going to do that. Devil comes to you. Go rob a bank. You're not going to do that. But if the devil comes to you and says, do you know what so-and-so said about you? Can you believe what they did? I can't believe they did that. And on it goes. He is very successful at devouring Christians with strife. We can be aware of this and overcome this, or we can somehow act like it's just the way life is. Well, people are going to do what people are going to do, but you and I can respond in a godly way. Amen. Say it as for me. I'm staying out of strife. Do you know that every day we have opportunities to get into this stuff? Traps set everywhere. Hallelujah. Let's talk about that cancel culture in this country right now. A single mistake and your life is over. A single mistake and nothing you do matters anymore. A single mistake gets you fired. A single mistake and you're worthless. Hmm. The cancel culture is a culture of strife and offense. Somehow you colored outside the lines of the way they said you should do it. And it all you know, manifests in various ways in this country. But listen to this. Evergreen State College in Washington, it'll make sense to you when you hear this. They told their professors to take students' feelings into account when they graded their papers. <laughs> Did I mention it was Washington State? In one city, there was a challenge, and the person said the size of the chairs was declared a microaggression to overweight people. The University of Arizona told students and hired them to tattle on each other when they broke cultural norms or rules. That doesn't sound like the United States of America, does it? It sounds like communist China, and it sounds like the brown shirts of the Nazi party. Expecting people to be on time was declared culturally insensitive. Some of you are saying, I must be really insensitive. <laughs> Listen to this. A British student union tried to ban clapping and cheering because it was not inclusive to deaf people. Can't they see this? 
Jamie Gunn, Hollywood director, director and writer of Guardians of the Galaxy series, was fired from Guardians 3 because of about a 12 to 15-year-old statement he made that was disparaging, and they decided they were just going to get rid of him. The cast revolted and said, if you don't bring him back, we're all walking. I thought that's pretty classy of them. Now notice, we don't have to agree with anything somebody does, but there's a far distance from not agreeing to canceling people. The statue of Teddy Roosevelt was removed from the front of the Museum of Natural History. He is the Museum of Natural History. Provided most of the animals in the Museum of Natural History. Loved God with all his heart, read his Bible every day, taught Sunday school all even through his political years. But they removed his statue because it wasn't politically correct. Megyn Kelly was fired from NBC because she didn't know what blackface was all about. Yes, there's ignorance in all of our lives, but to cancel somebody, not because she did it or supported it, she just didn't even know what it was. And if you don't, go look it up. 2017, Kendall Jenner filmed the Pepsi commercial where all she does is reach into, you know, a, a cooler of Pepsi and ice and pulls one out and walks over to a policeman in a protest and hands him the Pepsi. They went ballistic because she actually was nice to the cop. Forced an apology from Pepsi and, you know, doing away with the ad campaign. Look at somebody and say, our country's gone nuts. Look at somebody else and say, wacko city. And I can sit here all day long and give you example after example after example after example of this culture in our country that says, you better fly perfect to my standard or I'm done with you. When I read Luke 15 about the story of the prodigal, I read a story about a boy who forced his dad's hand to get his inheritance and went out there and drank it up and boosted it up with loose living. And then one day he ended up in the pig pen, you know, longing to eat, but the pigs were eating and having nothing. The Bible says he came to his senses and said, I'll go back and tell my father, you know what, I'll be your servant. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And he made his way back to the father. And guess who was looking for him? He was already there looking for him. And when he saw him, what does the Bible say? Do we agree with his loose living? No. Do we agree with his drunken ways? No. Do we agree that he dishonored his father and, and forced his hand and said, I wish you were basically dead, daddy, so I can have your money? No, he didn't endorse any of that. But there he was on that road. And when he saw that boy, he ran to him. And he said, quick, get the robe. Put a ring on his finger. Get the shoes of sonship. Slay the fattened calf. We're going to party. My son who was dead is now alive. That's the father's heart. Whose heart is the Christian supposed to have? The father's heart. But there's not just one prodigal in this story. One prodigal was in the pig pen. One prodigal was in the father's house. And when he heard the sound and the music and the celebration, he came complaining to his father, this son of yours who runs off in riotous living, you do this for him. And I know so much as had a goat to celebrate with my friends. And he said, all I have is yours. 
What did the father have? Restoration culture. What did the other boy have? Cancel culture. Now, you and I have to make up our mind of a strife-free heart. The father paves the way for reconciliation and restoration. The father is the one you would think would understandably be in strife, but he's not. He has nothing but forgiveness for him. A strife-filled heart, the brother paves the way for the cancel culture. Strife is the hallmark of the cancel culture. Strife is cancel culture in the heart. And if you live long enough in the body of Christ, you have seen it. Now, I don't want to belabor this, but on the other hand, we don't have church tonight, so you can just sit right on through lunch and enjoy this thing. Amen. Praise the Lord. God began to, to really speak to me about this and look at Hollywood and look at the music industry and look at industry in general and how the cancel culture is manifesting. You know, this person makes this mistake and they're gone. There's no more room for growth out there. But God spoke to me and said, this has been the church much longer. Much longer. Somebody worships with you 20 years and all of a sudden they get upset and they don't even so much as talk at you, talk to you at Walmart. What is that? That's cancel culture. I didn't agree with you, so I'm going to go over here and do this and act like you don't exist. That's cancel culture. And every person in this room has had somebody cancel them over some reason they thought was justified, but it does not reflect the heart of the Father. And the problem is, it produces no good thing in you to function that way. If you're in the ministry, you see example after example after example of this. God hadn't called us to cancel. We don't have to agree. We don't have to say, hey, that was right. Way to go. We don't have to subject ourselves to abuse. But to cancel people as completely worthless and valueless, that's not the heart of God. Turn to somebody and tell them, I value you. You're important to God. You matter to God. Amen? How many want to be more like the Father? Everything right now in this world is pushing people towards us. You better line up with my litmus test or I want nothing to do with you. That's not the heart of God. That's not the heart of Christ. Amen? Raise your hand if you're imperfect. Well, now you're a target for the cancel culture. Amen. Glory to God. But do you know, even if you were perfect, they still find a fault with you. Some people can't find a reason to get offended. They'll manufacture a reason to get offended. Their spiritual gift is offense. That's what they do. Amen. Look at somebody and tell them, be like the Father. Say it again. Be like the Father. The heart of the Father. Praise God. Hallelujah. Shout it out. The servant of the Lord must not be in strife. You all okay so far? Amen. Who wants to look hideous on the inside? Watch this. There's a man very close to King David. There was a man 
who was his most trusted advisor. There was a man who gave such good advice that David racked up victory after victory after victory after victory. To say these two were two peas in a pod doesn't nearly explain the closeness, the interaction, the camaraderie, and the success they had. An advisor and the king. God blessed everything that they did. He was one of David's most trusted advisors, key in victory after victory. But Ahithophel is his name. He broke with David and he sided with his son Absalom in the rebellion. He failed to get Absalom to take his advice. Absalom took the advice of another advisor that David sent into the camp to try to misdirect what he was doing. But he failed to get Absalom to take his advice that would have potentially defeated David in that campaign. He realized what's going to happen. They're going to be defeated, and his days were numbered. So he went home, put his house in order, and hung himself. The question is, this great advisor that was so close to David, what could possibly be at the root of him turning in rebellion against the king that he loved? And the answer is very simple. He had a granddaughter, and that granddaughter's name was Bathsheba. And Bathsheba was taken in by David an illicit affair, producing a child from that union. And here's the bottom line. He never got over it. He never did what God did. When Nathan came to David and told him the story of the man who had everything and the man who had little, and you went and took his ewe lamb, and he said, you are the man. Do you all remember what David did? He repented. But people in the cancel culture, people in the, in the throes of strife, they don't let people be forgiven. I don't care if God forgave David. I don't forgive David. What he did to my granddaughter was unacceptable. What he did to my family, what he did to her husband, unacceptable by having him killed to cover up his sin. God's perspective is this. Watch this. My servant failed, but I'm not done with him yet. Strife, cancel culture, God's servant failed, and I'm done with him. It is in the world, and it's in the church, and it's not honorable to God. Raise your hand if you think you've ever done something that God could have canceled you over. I'm glad he didn't. Let me say it again. God's perspective, perspective, my servant failed, yes, but I'm not done with him. Come on, say it with me. God's perspective over me is I failed, but he's not done with me. Come on, say it. He's not done with me. Hallelujah. Watch this. God forgave David, but Ahithophel never did. The results, he lost his position, his wise, anointed, godly counselor position. His, his influence was diminished. He soiled his legacy. And in the end, he lost his life. What's the point 
Strife will kill you. Strife will take everything away from you. You know, when I, I read this and I think about this, if it's not sad enough as a story, there was another baby going to be born to his granddaughter. And that baby's name was Solomon. If only a fifth of fellow could get over his strife, he could have been counselor to the greatest king in Israel next to David. But he wasn't there to see his great-grandson take the throne because of strife. I wonder what you and I stand to miss. I wonder what amazing thing God has in our future that we're going to lose if we don't let this stuff go. I assure you it's just as precious as Ahithophel seeing Solomon ascend the throne. Just as important. If David needed a counselor, how much more did Solomon need a counselor? But not there. Because Ahithophel decided, I cancel you. I don't care about our history. I don't care about our devotion. I don't care about our covenant friendship. I don't care about all the victories. I don't care about all the good things that happened. I don't care about God's anointing on your life. All I care about is you didn't do what I wanted you to do. You did something I didn't want you to do, and I'm done with you. If you're treating somebody in your family that way, if you're treating somebody in the church that way, if you're treating somebody at the workplace that way, if you're treating somebody in the classroom like that, you need to correct that quickly. Because you don't realize that what the devil is trying to ensnare you to do his will. Last time I checked, servants of God do God's will. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Father. I'm glad there's still time. See, somebody may cancel you. You need to guard your heart not to enter into that culture with others. You stay in love, amen? Stay pliable and tender. So how can you triumph over strife in your life? Write these things down and meditate on them. Strife just doesn't come. We learn how to practice getting into strife. We become really good at it. When we become good at anything, practice it. Instead of practicing strife, practice these five things. Number one, practice purity in your heart. Practice purity in your heart. What do I mean? Learn to recognize even the tinge of offense or bitterness coming up in your heart. Don't wait for it to be full-blown where you run around canceling everybody. Deal with it quickly. Here's the deal. Bitterness grows with time. Time does not heal emotional wounds. That's a lie. Are you here today? The only thing that's going to deal with that kind of a wound is the things of God. Instead of letting it grow, deal with it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You see somebody that really aggravated you, and here it comes, here it comes, here it comes, trying to bubble up. You deal with it then. Don't let it sit there and just, you know, roost and nest in your heart and in your mind. Number two, practice the presence of God. What do I mean? Stay in his word. Stay in prayer. Why? Because every moment in his presence is an opportunity for correction in your life. Every moment in that devotional time is a chance for God to correct, rebuke, challenge you 
And we need that. For the Holy Ghost to say that attitude you have about so-and-so, that's not of me. That spirit about you, that's not of me. Every moment in his presence is a correctable time for us. And we should value that. Because he didn't want us to be destroyed like so many others have. Practice the presence of God. Number three, practice forgiveness. It is a decision of your will. The hurt is a symptom, but your act of forgiveness is about your own choices. And you should practice this. Amen? I mean, you know, you get good at what you practice. Raise your hand if you've had to practice it. Had to forgive anybody. Shout this out. Forgiveness is a choice. The hurt is a symptom. You can forgive despite being hurt. Number four, practice humility. Practice humility. What does it mean? It means you have your own issues. It means you're imperfect. Watch this. Raise your hand if you agree you're imperfect. Raise your hand if you agree you have some issues. Congratulations, you're disqualified from canceling anybody. You don't qualify to cancel people. Woman taken before Jesus in John 8 in the throes of adultery. Have you ever wondered where the man was at? You know, I'm not a rocket scientist, but normally adultery requires two. Well, the man's not brought before this kangaroo court, just the woman. And what do they say? You know what Moses said. Such a woman ought to be stoned to death. What did Jesus do? I always wondered what he actually bent down and wrote on the ground. Amen. Was it a cartoon character? <laughs> was it something in Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic? We don't, we don't know. All we know is he was slow to respond, but then when he did speak, what did he say? He that is without sin cast the first stone. He that is without sin cancel her. ahead and one by one the rocks were dropped as from the oldest to the youngest they realized I'm not qualified to cancel her and Jesus said no one here to condemn you no one here to cancel you and what do you tell her neither do I cancel you go and what Sin no more. No compromise with the sin. No patting her on the head and saying, I don't care what you do. Don't sin, but I do not cancel. You see that. The Pharisees have the cancel culture. Christ has the restoration culture. What are we supposed to be like? We're not qualified. You're not qualified to cancel people because you're not perfect. And here's the good news. The one who is perfect chose not to cancel us. The one who is perfect 
chose not to cancel us. Number five, practice mercy. Because people in their error will get into distress. Consequences will result. The Bible says that mercy triumphs over judgment. Listen to this. The Bible says, blessed are the merciful. Empowered to prosper are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. What does mercy desire? Mercy desires to alleviate the distress in your life because of your sin. Mercy desires to help somebody out of their distress. The cancel culture wants to cause distress in someone else's life. You and I should see the distress that they cause with their own hands, with their own you know, choices in life. What does a, a man or woman of God do? We want to have the heart of God to help get them out of that distress. Certain things you need to practice if you're going to stay strife-free. Practice purity of heart. Practice the presence of God. Practice forgiveness. Practice humility. And practice mercy. And you'll be healthy. Will you still have opportunities to get into strife? You absolutely will. But you'll be further and further and further away from the possibility of accepting that as you practice the things of God. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, I don't have time to get into strife. Come on, say it. I forgive everybody. Anytime, anywhere, in any season of life, for whatever they have done or said I didn't like, or things they didn't do or didn't say, I release them and let them go. Say it. I will not be the devil's tool. I'm God's servant. I don't have the cancel culture. I have the restoration culture. I'm about bringing people back, not pushing people down. 